listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the fourth part of the series called Rediscovering the Gospel. Today's message, given on October 8th, 2017, is titled Spiritual Sight. Some of you may know that I have had problems with my vision lately. In fact, those that were here when we got back from vacation in August, um, that morning I woke up and my contact lenses were bothering me. So I said, all right, I I won't put them in. And so I got out the glasses and I put them on. And uh, I I usually print out my message, you know, on a sheet like this. And I had it and I'm looking at it, I go, I could not see it at all. And it was really scary. So I'm like, God, what's going on here? Now, this had happened like once or twice before, so I was, you know, not freaking out, but, you know, when you can't see, you know, it's a concern. So thankfully, I had my iPad, and I took it, and I blew the font up really big so I could see what it was. And, uh, you know, some of you may not, didn't even notice that, but that caused me to go get some, my eyes checked out. And... uh, so I went to the local ophthalmologist, and he did tests. And you know how, you know, the, they, they don't have the old-fashioned eye charts anymore with the, the big E on the top. You know, they do it all computerized now. But the, he put the thing up. He goes, what does that say? I go, I, I can't tell you, Doc. He goes, what? You can't see that? Go, no, I, I really can't see it. And he keeps going. And, you know, and he was like, he had no idea what was causing this. So um, they tested things and they said, gee, we think, you know, everything's working well with your eyes, so maybe you should go in and get a consult with a neuro-ophthalmologist. So, uh, first of all, that's a hard person to find. I mean, you, you go on and you say neuro-ophthalmologist, and there aren't many of them, so I did what anyone does, you know, when it, like, where there's a mystery where you can't find a solution here. I said, well, let me see what's in the city. And thankfully, there was one on our insurance at the Manhattan Eye, Ear, Throat Hospital, Meath. Some of you may have heard of that. A beautiful area of Manhattan, 64th Street and Lexington, between Lexington and 3rd. Uh, there's a brand new subway stop there. And so the, the Second Avenue, it was just really wonderful getting to that. But I, I'll be honest, as I'm walking through Penn Station that morning and I'm looking at the train boards, you know how they, because I'm like, oh, I got to figure out what track I'm on on the way home. And I'm looking at the train boards. I'm like, gee, that's not going to work out real well. I, I couldn't see it. And so I go up there and I see the neuro-ophthalmologist and she checks me out and stuff and they do some tests. And she finally says, she goes, well, there's nothing neurologically wrong with you. I said, okay, well, that's good news, but what's wrong with me? She goes, well, it's not neurological. I said, okay, I'll accept that. And she said, well, why don't you see one of our optometrists? And he can run some tests. He can take a look at things, and maybe he can figure out a better prescription for you. I said, well, okay, but, I mean, I was seeing great just a couple days ago with my contacts, and now I took the contacts off, and I can't see with the glasses, and I'm having trouble wearing the contacts because of allergies. You know, I mean, is this going to do anything? She says, well, just, just see the guy. I said, fair enough. So I waited, and I saw it. And they did this really cool test where they actually mapped the corneas. You know, they did a topography. So, you know, think about, you know, you ever look at a topographic map? You know, you can see the mountains, you can see the valleys and things, and they actually did that. And, you know, from what I understand, and I'm not obviously a medical person, but they're supposed to be sort of consistent in color. And when you see something that's really red, that means the slope of that is greater than it should be. And if it's green, the slope is about where it should be. 
And so, you know, this thing lit up like a Christmas tree, you know. And so the corneas were just really all over the place. And that would actually explain why, how, you know, if I would look through one part, you know, look a certain way, things look better, and another way it didn't. So I said, what, what do we do here? He said, well, um, I, I would like to, the doctor, he said, I would like to consult with some of my colleagues, and I'll get back to you and try to figure this out. I said, okay, fair enough. I said, I, I appreciate your diagnostic approach because I used to be an engineer and I see what you're doing. You're trying to figure this out, go through a troubleshooting tree. And then he said, he goes, well, I notice on your form, it says here, the information form you fill out, it says, I see you work at Island Christian Church. What do you do there? I said, well, I'm now a pastor. And he said, oh, well, you will need your eyesight in order to read and proclaim God's word. I said, you must be a believer. He says, yes, I am. I go, praise the Lord. The people in my life and in my church are all praying that this mystery would be solved and that God would give insight to someone at this practice to help me figure out what's wrong. He says, wow. Okay. So we had a nice connection and whatnot. And then he called me up uh, two days later and he said, I think what may be happening, or he said, we think what may be happening is your contact lenses are deforming your corneas so that when you wear the contact lenses, you see good, but it's pressing the corneas into an unnatural shape. And then when you take the contact lenses out, the corneas are not matched to your glasses prescription now, so that's why you cannot see clearly. So he said, would you be willing to not wear your contacts for a time and let's see what it is. I go, hey, doc, if that's going to come and fix this, I'm all for it. So that's what we did and we agreed. And of course, in the beginning, it was really rough because I'm like, oh, you know, this is big. I, I had Ann drive me, actually, or she insisted that she drive me. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, we think we can do things when really we shouldn't be, you know? And so God bless a good wife, you know? <laughs> So anyway, so I did stop driving for a bit, and then slowly the vision started to improve to where during the daylight I was good, but at night I said, no, I'm not going to drive at night. And, uh, you know, so then I, I did go back to see him after, I think, two weeks, and, uh, you know, we had a, a nice connection again, and, you know, he says, yeah, he, he did the test again, and the, the reds were diminishing on the thing, and it was more yellow and green, and so the corneas were coming back to the way they should have been. And I said, yeah, my, my eyesight is better. In fact, in my right eye, it's real good. The left eye is still bad. You know, I have an astigmatism there. And so long story short, he said, I think we're on the right track. Let's wait a little bit longer. Let's have you come back again because, you know, your vision is stabilizing. And uh, so, you know, let, let's see what happens. So I went back in a week ago Friday, and um, it was... You know, at this point, my vision is almost 2020, and I'm very grateful for that. It's stabilized, and he did the test. They actually had me go to the hospital part to get on a better machine, you know, that would even be show more detail. And, you know, that, that, those topography maps, the pictures look great. And so um, I said, well, you know, Doc, thank you. You know, he said, you know, I, I was thinking about you because, you know, you weren't actually scheduled to see me. You were scheduled to see someone else. And, you know, she just referred me, uh, referred you to me right there. And I happened to be there and we, we did that. And I know you were praying and people in your church were praying. I thought of you because 
something, another patient came in kind of in a similar, little different circumstances, but she had had a long-term eye problem that nobody could figure out. And she was not scheduled to see this Dr. Chris. And uh, yet uh, they, they, they had the appointment and she said the same thing. People in my church are praying that God would direct a doctor to figure this out. And so he goes, I don't know. Could this be a pattern or something? And I had an opportunity to share with him. I said, well, listen, Daniel was, you know, interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And, you know, Daniel said it it wasn't me that did it. God is the one who reveals mysteries. So I I know there's limits to what you can and cannot say, but perhaps God is putting you in these positions where he can help you see situations and then you can gently mention that, you know, God is giving you this and, you know, people will give God the glory in that. So I said, he was like, hmm, something to think about. So anyway, Dr. Chris and I, we have a connection. We're getting tight. I'm really happy. We're, he's able to help me. Um, I, you know, I'm helping minister to him, uh, encouraging him in his practice and living his Christian life out. And uh, anyway, but listen, this whole situation, oh, and just to finish the story. So um, I'm going to go back one more time. Uh, our insurance allows me to get a new set of glasses at the end of October. So when that lines up, I'm going to go back and he thinks that he could give me a prescription that would get me to 2020 or even a little bit better. So I thank the Lord for that. And thank you for praying for me. Uh, but anyway, listen, here's the thing. This got me to think not only about vision, because most of us don't experience vision problems, but it's certainly, have you ever experienced vision problems? I know some of you have. Yeah, it's scary, right? You kind of start to think, what am I, you know, I start to think, what am I going to do, okay? Uh, it's going to be real hard to study the Bible. I mean, I guess I could proclaim God's word as I remember it. I know there's audio books and things, and I could learn Braille, um, but you know, I was like, and, and I can't work on, go back to working on computers like I used to. Um, I play piano. I guess I could put a tin cup on the piano, you know, and <laughs> maybe, maybe, but, you know, it, it got me thinking, what would I do if I lost my vision? And, you know, that is a very scary thing, but that got me thinking, okay, how is our spiritual vision, our spiritual sight? Is there something perhaps that is wrecking it, just like those contact lenses were deforming my cornea so I couldn't see clearly, is there something that is deforming our spiritual vision so that we cannot see God clearly or we cannot see how God is at work clearly? And, you know, and maybe it's even something that's been doing it for a really long time because I mean, I started wearing contacts over 30 years ago. And I had no problems until recently. And sometimes there's something that we start doing a really long time ago that we might not see the effects of it, but it could be affecting our spiritual vision. So turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to have a look in chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to start at the first verse. He says this, Therefore... Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God. Now, I just want to say that's a great opening there, okay? We never want to do any kind of disgraceful, underhanded ways to try to get to people. There are charlatans out there who only want your money, but they do it in Jesus' name. And they are that's terrible, okay? There are people who tamper with God's word by telling people that it means something that it does not mean. We do not want to do that. That is terrible. But here's the thing here. By the open statement of the truth that we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Because ultimately, who do we have to answer to one day? God, right? Everyone's going to have to give an account. So it's so important. Now, look at verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, okay? Veil, you know, I got a daughter getting married. You know, she's going to walk down with a veil. A veil covers something up, okay? And, uh, you know, so a veil, even if the gospel is veiled, even if the gospel is covered up, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, not capital G-O-D, the little G-O-D, the God of this world, who's that? The enemy, Satan, right? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Circle that phrase. Keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May God bless this reading of his word. So what's going on here? There is something that is altering the vision of people who have not yet come to faith in Christ that keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, okay? And, you know, God said, let light shine out of darkness. That has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So there is a situation that, you know, and, and when you think about it, it actually is very freeing when you think about this, okay? If you know someone who has not yet come to faith in Christ, okay, and they're like, you know, you're like, oh, why are they doing this? Why is this going on? Why do they do it this way? Well, it could be because they cannot see. Remember the Jewish leader Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night? And that's John 3, where the famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, verses. Well, earlier in that, Jesus says, you know, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what happens is we, in a sense, all have this situation called spiritual blindness. And it requires God stepping into our lives and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and illuminates us so that we can see our sinful condition and then we can have enough faith to repent 
and to be saved. But we just don't naturally see, okay? Now, I've been reading a book by J.D. Greer called Gospel, Rediscovering the Power That Made Christianity Revolutionary. And I want to share just a couple of key thoughts that I found in this. He says this, he says, seeing the love of God and the glory of Christ is what restructures our hearts and reorders our desires. You know, last week we talked about desire. We talked about the gospel and desire. If you missed that, you might want to go back online and check that out because we gave you some real good tests to check to see what our heart desires are and to see if we're actually desiring something more than God. Maybe it's even a good thing, but we make it an ultimate thing. And then that could be something that is making and eclipsing our spiritual vision there. I want you to look, turn to the book of Ephesians just a couple books later. I want to look at Paul, how Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1. We're going to start reading at verse 17. Paul is praying this. I want you to hear the words of this prayer. And then I want you to think about how you might pray this prayer for yourself and also for people that you care about. Okay, this is, Paul is praying this for the Ephesian church, people he deeply cared about. And he said this, Ephesians 1.17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 18, here's a phrase. I want you to get this phrase. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, or in some translations it says, having the eyes of your hearts opened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. You see, Paul is praying that these people's eyes would be opened to see God. Now, look, we we don't see God directly, but we're talking about spiritual eyes. We're not talking about physical eyes here. Our spiritual eyes would be opened so that people could see God and they may know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Okay, I... How many of you would say that? That sounds like a good prayer to pray. You know, w- would you like to see more of the glorious greatness of Christ, of God, and his power at work? So that's something we can pray for and we should pray for. Some of us get in a spiritual slump sometimes. And I would purport this morning that that is a good way to get out of the spiritual slump. Take that verse write it out, and start praying it daily. And I'll bet if you do that, you'll get out of the spiritual slump. Okay, now let's take a look at history. So Paul is praying that the Ephesian church, these people he dearly loved, would have the eyes of their hearts open. Now, let's take a look back at history. When God took the Israelites out of the slavery of Egypt and They were at the mountain where God laid out the Ten Commandments, the law. The first thing God did when he led the children out of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, was to open their eyes to see who he was. Now, let's just mention one thing. You know, God is so holy and so powerful that if somebody saw God, what would happen to him? 
Zappo, nuclear, okay? Sounds like the things movies are made of, okay? But this is way beyond movies because this is truth. But I want to take a look at an interesting passage. This is just before God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19. And I want you to see how God opened the eyes of the people of Israel and what happened as a result of it. Exodus 19, and we're going to start reading at verse 16. Okay? And while you're getting there, understand that God gave Moses some prohibitions and stuff like, don't let the people come near the mountain. If they touch the mountain, because that's where the presence of God was, they would die. And there were boundaries put up and all sorts of things. And so, and this went on for three days while they were preparing to see God at work on the mountain. And here we go. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast so that the people in the camp trembled. Circle trembled. God is powerful. God is showing himself powerful. And when we see Things in nature happen. I mean, I, I look, it's, it's terrible what happened with these hurricanes. And I can't explain why they happen, but I can say it shows the power of God's creation in nature. Okay, there is power. And when we get in the presence of power, what's the proper response? To be afraid. Okay? Verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Okay, so what's going on? There's an earthquake taking place here. Okay, God is showing up He's showing his power, and the ground is shaking, and there's smoke everywhere. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Just just imagine this. There's shaking, there's smoke, there's noise. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. You see, I think what this, the takeaway from this for us is this. God is huge. God is huge. I had the opportunity a bunch of years ago to go, um, any of you know who Matt Redman is? You know, we, we sing a lot of his songs. He was doing a, a, a conference for uh, people in worship and specifically those who wrote worship songs. And I had the privilege of go to it in Atlanta. It was called the Face Down Conference. And some of his songs actually were debuted at that conference. And it was just so wonderful because to be in the presence of people who really were into worship, I think there were only 400 of us at this, and it was just so wonderful to be there. And something happened to me at that conference. I, I, the way I like to describe it is I got resized at that conference. And I journaled this, and I remembered this. I wrote this in my journal. I wrote, tonight... God became really big to me, and I became really small. 
Don't ever let me forget that. Yet, just as I love my kids, God loves me. I got resized, or maybe I got right-sized, because I think, quite frankly, some of us are a little too glib when we consider God. You know, we like, you know, we think of, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They're weak, but he is strong. But people even forget that last part of it. And yes, God, Jesus loves us. I get that. But theologians talk about, they talk about the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. The transcendence is how God is big, how he goes beyond all things. All the omnis, omnipotent, omniscient, omni, all those things that God is full of power, he is full of knowledge, he is all everywhere, all those things. And yet there's also the imminent side of God, that he is right here. When we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence inside of us and our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's God on Sinai who is awesome and amazing and rumbling, and there's God the Holy Spirit who's there. Now, that doesn't mean that God changed or anything. I I don't want you to to mistake that, but here's the thing. J.D. Greer says this. He says, I believe most people today have lost a sense of God's awesome size. We reduce God to a domesticated, middle-class-sized deity that we can explain and control. He is not that. The infinite God staggers the mind. When we try to reduce God to something we can explain and control, we actually cripple people's ability to believe in him. Isn't that interesting? You know, we try to say, well, let me think. How can I... How can I make it more understanding for people to understand Jesus? And if we dumb down God, which you can't do, but if we try to do it, we might be crippling somebody's ability to believe in him. I don't know what you think, but I was like, wow, when I read that. You see, let's go back to Exodus. No one can touch the mountain. In fact, God says, you cannot see my face and live, okay? God is infinitely perfect, so not even the slightest sin can be tolerated in his presence. The guy that wrote that book, he said this. He says, imagine this. Imagine I offered you a glass of water, and you were thirsty. I hadn't drunk out of it yet, and you were about to take it. And then I were to say, um... I just want you to know there's a couple of drops of the HIV virus in that water. You wouldn't want to touch it because that's such a deadly virus. And just a little bit in this whole cup of water is something that we just would be like, no. That's how sin is with God. God is so holy that he cannot tolerate even the least bit of sin in his presence. And if that were the end of the story, we would all be hopeless. But as we said over this series on rediscovering the gospel, God had a solution, and the solution is Jesus. He sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus on the cross absorbed 
our sin and the sin of everyone who trusts in him so that we could be forgiven of the sin and purified from all unrighteousness. And this cup of water by Jesus' blood is pure so that it's safe to drink. Amen? Amen. So not only is God powerful, but God is merciful. Go back to verse 4 in Exodus 19. This is so beautiful. You yourselves have, what's the next word? Seen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The Israelites were in bondage for, I think, 400 years. And they were brought out in the miraculous thing. Remember, Pharaoh kept changing his mind. Okay, new plague comes. You know, okay, you can go. You know, Pharaoh changes his mind. You can't go. Okay, boom, plague again. And then ultimately it was to the, the death of the firstborn. Okay? God brought them out. He bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey. Verse 4. Seen, verse 5, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Do you see how that works? That's awesome. We need to see God spiritually, and then we need to believe, and then we need to respond, and then we get to see clearer. Get this progression. Write it down. This is important. See, believe, respond, see clearer. See, believe, respond, see clearer. That's what's happening here. God had them see, okay? They believed, they trembled, they responded, and then they saw clearer. So, Some of you might be saying, well, okay, I I get that, but that's history. Where do we get to see God today? I mean, where's our mountain? I mean, God descended on a mountain with fire. Where does that happen today? Would any of you like to know where that is? Jesus on the cross. The mountain, as impressive as it was, was just a dim shadow of a later mountain where God's glory would be revealed, Mount Calvary. More than 1,400 years after God appeared on Mount Sinai, Jesus would climb up another mountain to put God's glory on display. Just like Sinai, Calvary was covered by a thick cloud of darkness as God turned his face away. Do you see, on the cross, Jesus gave us the clearest and most complete picture of the glory of God. That's how we can see God. We see the great love that he displayed for us in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
I have one more verse. You don't have to look it up. We're going to put it up on the screen in a minute. The gospel reveals a greater power than even the power of creation. I mean, think about creation. God speaks, something comes into existence. Wow. But the gospel reveals an even greater power, and that's the power of a new creation, of redeeming from sin and regenerating life from death. Paul calls the gospel the power of God. Have a look at this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you realize that there is nothing else in Scripture other than Christ himself who is referred directly to as the power of God? The power of God is the gospel. So if you want power in your life, it comes in the gospel. Remember the progression? See, believe, respond, see clearer. So I want to close by ask this, ask you this. Is something altering your spiritual sight? Just like something was altering my eyesight, is there something that is altering your spiritual sight? Are you having a hard time seeing God? Well, if there is, the starting point is the cross. Because as I said earlier, Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the invitation is to all. And if someone here has not trusted in Christ, I would invite you after the service to come. Let's talk. Let's have you leave today knowing that you have trusted in Christ. And that's yet you've gotten past the starting point where you can see. But once you've gotten past that starting point, once we've embraced the completed work of Jesus on the cross, there is something we can do to see God more clearly each and every day. There's something we can do. This week, I had the opportunity to watch a lot of uh, video clips of some Christian, there was a Christian leadership conference that was going on in Atlanta, and they kind of let you have a look in sometimes. You know, they wouldn't stream the whole thing, so you'd actually go to the conference. But I went in and I caught an interesting speaker by the name of Bob Goff, and that intrigued me to look and see what he was all about. And I looked at some of his other video clips that were online, and he said this, and this really stuck in my heart this week, and I want to share it with you. He said this, when we want to follow an invisible God, sometimes it's hard to figure out how do we do that? I mean, isn't that a fair question, right? God's invisible. We can't see him. How, right? Would you agree it's sometimes hard to figure out how to do that? I'm like, yeah. Well, what do you do? He said this. He says, one of the things I found out along the way is when I do stuff, I find out a little more about him. When I do stuff, I find out a little more about him. In other words, I don't just sit and wait for him to show himself to me. God prompts us in certain ways. And when we just respond to that and we start having some activity and we start doing something that we feel that he prompted us to do, oftentimes 
He shows us more of himself. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've seen that in my life, and that's kind of the way it works. You see, remember, doing stuff is not the basis of our relationship with God, but it's our response to it. Remember we said this last week, religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's not what we're about. The gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You get that? So it's not trying to, we're not doing stuff to try to get a better situation and a better standing with God. We do stuff in response to what he did. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. So, you know, sometimes I think we don't see God moving until we're moving. And then as we respond to the stuff that comes up, we enter into what God has already been doing all along. I love that quote from the uh, Experiencing God book. You know, it's an old book, what, 20-some-odd years ago? You know, see where God is already at work and join him in it. Because God's he's at work everywhere. And sometimes we just have to wake up to it. So, you know, think about that quote. You know, sometimes, you know, as we respond to things that come up, we enter into what God is and already doing. Because some people, I think, are stalled because they're afraid to step out. Some people are afraid to step out. And listen, doesn't Scripture say that we walk by faith, not by sight? If God laid everything out so we could see it, what faith would that take? Zero. But that's where faith kicks in when we can't necessarily see So we act on the faith, we start to do what we feel God is prompting us to do, and then sometimes it doesn't even get confirmed with great things. How many of you ever had this situation where you're like, gee, I'm starting to obey God, and then it gets worse? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But remember, the end of the story has not yet been written. Always remember that. This ending has not been written. And we get to see, and and like any good book, it usually goes through bad times, and then maybe it comes out at the end. And, And look, not every book even has a bow at the end of it, right? But listen, we will be rewarded one day. And ultimately, that's where our reward lies in heaven. Our heavenly reward is seeing Jesus face to face. And I can't think of anything better than that. So... Realize that you are fully accepted by God by the completed work of Christ on the cross and not what you do. And this should free you up from getting stuck in the what if this happens kind of fear. In faith, you can do stuff without getting frozen by fear. See, believe, respond, see clearer. What might God want you to step out in faith and do? God prompting you right now as we're talking about this, maybe there's something God is prompting you to step out in faith and do. I would encourage you to prayerfully talk with God about that, and if so, take the first step. If I could help you in some way with that, I'd be happy to pray with you or talk with you about it. Because I just get excited when I see God mobilizing his people.
to do stuff that results in praise to the glory of his greatness. So, listen, we can have clear we can have clearer spiritual sight. And maybe some of us just need to respond to what God has already done. And if we did, how could that change our life and also those around us? My encouragement today is let's step out in faith and see what happens. Could we do that?